ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, Kansas City, welcome into this Wednesday edition of Tapped In, brought to you from the KCPN, as in Kansas City Public Network, live from Tapson, Maine, in downtown Kansas City, right in the crossroads. Heart of KC, folks, best wings in the city, a wonderful Reuben as well, I'm going to say best in the city, and a 50-tap pour-your-own beer wall sample all of the wonderful beers, including a lot of great craft beers that Kansas City's some of their own breweries have to offer. So once again, thank you for joining me on this beautiful Wednesday afternoon, morning at this point, but still. Uh, so we're going to dive right in. I've been talking so much NFL lately with this NFL draft and, you know, the champions, los campeones of the NFL draft game with the, uh, along with my uh, compatriots from the tailgate podcast, which you will see one of those dropping later this afternoon. Hope you got a chance to see our little stone cold Steve Austin, still little stone cold Steve Austin esque promo that we just dropped on the spoken and Midwest mics, but seriously, Love you guys. Appreciate you being good sports and getting your asses handed to you by us at the tailgate. Anywho, lovely Wednesday afternoon here. We're going to dive in, though, and I've been talking so much NFL, and I haven't had a chance to talk some Royals. I think they've felt a little bit neglected, and I think that has shown in the, in the on the scoreboard. I think in their efforts, maybe they're not feeling the love from tapped in a little bit from yours truly, Duncan Kaminsky. So I'm, I've got the blue. I'm, I'm rocked out in my Royals today. I want them to know, hey, boys, I'm here. All right? I love you. Wit, Salvi, all of you. I'm here for you. I support you. Let's get back to our winning ways. So let's talk a little bit about what's been going on. They are 16 and 12. Still tied for first place along with those dastardly Chicago White Sox. That's right. Dastardly Chicago White Sox. And we're now just a game ahead of the Cleveland Indians. Indians for the time being, whatever they end up changing their name to in the very near future. Uh, they are at 13 and, or I'm sorry, 15 and 13. They're right behind us uh, in the divisional standings in the AL Central. And so we've lost three straight. First time the Royals have lost three straight all season long. They've lost four of five after losing a weekend series to the Minnesota Twins. Not so dastardly. I just don't like the Twins, but they're not that good. So the Royals just have not been playing well. So, how did we get here? Well, you had a 9-1 to loss on Friday night to the Twins, in which the major thing of note from that was Brady Singer coming off of a couple of really good starts in a row. He took a comebacker off of his left foot in the third inning and stayed down for a moment or so before he was able to get up and walk off on his own power, and he was diagnosed with a bruised heel after the game. And that was obviously a huge concern because – Besides Danny Duffy, who I'll get to in a moment, Singer had looked like the best of this Royals rotation at that at this point in the season with the struggles of a Brad Keller and a Mike Miner, who I also will get to. And the problem in this 9-1 to loss is that the Royals walked 10 Minnesota batters. Folks, you're just not going to win ball games when you walk 10 batters. That is absolutely unacceptable and something the Royals – badly, badly need to improve upon both in their rotation and in their bullpen. And so you get into uh, the one win over the the last several days, and that was 11-3 on Saturday 
that the Royals absolutely spanked the Twins off of a couple of home runs by Andrew Benintendi, two home runs, and then a uh, Salvi, uh, Salvador Perez had a home run, three rib, three rib, eh, excuse me, three RBIs. The ribs, it's Kansas City. I'm thinking about ribs, so I go ribbies and things like that. So maybe that's uh, my brain is telling me what I need to have for dinner tonight. So, um, but and then also the aforementioned Danny Duffy, he was absolutely nails in that game. Seven innings pitched, two hits. Three walks, seven strikeouts, one earned run. Folks, Danny Duffy is 4-1 and one on the season with a 0.60 ERA. I don't know what's going on with Danny Duffy this year. I don't know if it's because, you know, he's just feeling the effects of I'm getting a little bit older, maybe I need to do it this year, contract year. Uh, there's a number of things. Folks, Danny Duffy is pitching the best baseball of his career right now, and it is absolute treat to watch. Please pay attention to what Danny Duffy is doing because he is he's putting together a very early Cy Young campaign at this point. I have no hesitancy in saying that at this point. A month into the season, that's one-sixth of a season, Danny Duffy looks like a legitimate Cy Young candidate. So let's hope that the Duff man can keep it up. Duff man, keep it up. Uh, then you get into, unfortunately, an ass-kicking. On the other hand, Minnesota on Sunday afternoon beat the Royals 13-4. to and that was off of just Brad Keller. Just Keller just is his his struggles seem to continue this year. He just is something is off. No telling what it is, but he had a uh, he gave up a seven run third. It wasn't all him, but there was some home runs and some errors, and very uncharacteristic for the Royals pit for the Royals period. I mean, there's not a lot of errors traditionally given up by the defense that get runs across the plate for the other team, but. Regardless, Brad Keller is two and three at this point with an 8.06 ERA. So the supposed staff of the ace for the Royals has not been very ace-like uh, thus far through this season, and just not not very pretty. Uh, but so we're gonna we're gonna move away from the Minnesota series. We are now tonight the concluding game of a three-game series. Actually, I believe it's a four-game series. I take that back um, with Cleveland. And so the third game of the four-game series with Cleveland is uh, this evening, uh, but the first two games on Monday night. We've had some kind of wonky stuff going on with the umpiring staff in uh, this season. And so you had the first one on Monday night, umpire Dan Bellino. You know what? I'm just going to come out and say it. He screwed the Royals. The Royals in the uh, – the Royals had a situation where there was men on and Eddie Rosario was up to the plate for the Cleveland Indians, and it was a 2-2 count, and he called ball three on a pitch that Salvi had framed perfectly, and that's something that Salvi takes a lot of criticism for by the, the, the national pundits when it comes to grading catchers, and it's something that I think is silly because if you watch his defense and the fact that he's got the best arm in baseball when it comes to throwing out runners, uh, framing seems like a silly thing to grade a catcher on. That's my opinion. But Salvi framed this one perfectly, and the umpire, Mr. Bellino, he hesitated for a moment and then called ball three. And what should have clearly have been strike three would have ended the inning. Very next pitch, Rosario deposited, deposits it over the right field fence for a three-run home run. Two batters later, you get a two-run home run by Josh Naylor, and all of a sudden, it, what should have been a scoreless inning, turns into a five-run seventh inning 
that doomed the Royals. You did have a couple bright side or bright points in this game. Hunter Dozier and Whit Merrifield both had two run home runs, uh, but it was just Jake Tunis got absolutely rocked in the bullpen. And there's some question marks of whether or not Junis that he got. It was announced before the game that he was being pulled from the rotation, being put into the bullpen. And you wonder if maybe this was something that his head just was not in the right place. And especially after a pitch that should have been, again, should have been strike three to end the inning, instead was called ball three. And if that's when he just kind of gave up a gopher after that, then ended up being you know put over the fence. And if it just rocked his confidence. And so you would hope that Junis, at this point in his career, would be able to try to get over things like that. But it's not an easy game. You know, it's it's. Uh, it, just getting over these bad pitches and telling a pitcher to do so, it's easier said than done. And so it seems like Jake Junis, unfortunately, kind of had some struggles m- with being moved out of the uh, rotation. But to in some exciting news, the reason he was moved out of the rotation is because on Monday night, and I mentioned this on uh, Tapped In on Monday, it was the debut of Daniel Lynch, Royals' top prospect, Daniel. And it was shitty. He definitely had some he had some bumps in the road, and he didn't get to finish the inning quite like he would have liked to. He gave up uh, – <clears throat> excuse me. He gave up – where do I have it here? Four – he went four and two-thirds, gave up four hits, four walks. He did strike out three, gave up three earned runs, and he did get a standing ovation when he got pulled. What was nice, though, is he showed some resolve. You know, he got into some, sh- some bad situations, and along with he trusted his defense and he was able to get out of it, it could have been much worse than the three earned runs. And that showed, I think, some resolve, a little bit of moxie from young Mr. Daniel Lynch. And so we, uh, I was, again, shaky, shaky first start, not the best, not exactly what you would have liked to have seen, but he didn't get blown up either. So we will see in the next start for Daniel Lynch what he might be able to bring if he can show that electric stuff. Again, he did get a standing ovation from the Royals faithful out at the K on Monday night as he exited the game, which that's to be expected from Royals fans. And so the Royals lost that one eight to six, unfortunately, uh, due to the, the of what uh, Mr. Jake Tunis gave up there in the seventh inning. So that's that's, that's a bummer. But then you move on to uh, last night's game, Tuesday night. You had more shenanigans from the umpiring's crew, and you had uh, Harold Ramirez was uh, up to bat, and he hit a tie-breaking double in the eighth. And Jake Bauer, this is how the Royals ended up losing, unfortunately. Josh Stalmont got rocked in the eighth, and that was where Ramirez hit a tie-breaking double in the eighth, four, followed shortly after that by a Jake Bowers two-run home run. The Indians, unfortunately, rallied from a three-run deficit there in the eighth inning, and that was Stalmont getting rocked for the first time. Maybe he clipped the man bun a little bit or something like that. Samson lost some of his powers because he got, a team got him for the first time which is going to happen even to the best pitchers. And Stalmont has looked fantastic so far this year. So it seems, unfortunately, it was probably inevitable that somebody was going to be able to jump up and bite him. It just so happened to be the Cleveland Indians in the eighth inning last night. And uh, But anyway, to the shenanigans that was going on. So third inning, Royals are up one to nothing. We have runners on second and third. Salvador Perez up to the plate. Salvi rocks one, goes all the way out to the warning track, the two outfielders for Cleveland come in for it. They converge. Neither one of them comes up with the ball initially. But if one of them, Josh Naylor, he catches the carom. And so, Indian, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Major League umpire, the crew chief, Angel Hernandez, comes out, and he calls Salvi out at first. 
they all convene, and it, there was more confusion because in amidst all of it, one runner advanced, one runner decided to retreat back to second. There was just nobody knew exactly what was going on. And so amidst, amidst all this confusion, the umpires convened together, figured out what was going on. Ultimately, they awarded Salvi. They called, said he was not out. They awarded him an RBI single, and they said that the man on third had scored, but they, which was uh, Whit Merrifield, and then they put Benintendi on third base. The unfortunate part of this is that had they just played the call correctly and not, uh, not had to have any umpire interference whatsoever, the fact that neither of these outfielders caught the ball, both Merrifield and Benintendi likely scored. And so the Royals kind of got screwed again by the umpiring crew. And so it's Angel Hernandez just – anytime I see that guy is on the crew for a Royals series, I'm immediately like, man, there's going to be sh some chicanery going on. There's going to be something that somehow something controversial will happen. And because that's just kind of – and it's not just the Royals who feel that way. I mean, manager Terry Francona had even commented after the game in regards to Angel Hernandez, like, man, why does it – why does it always seem to happen whenever it's Angel Hernandez is calling a game, calling one of our games? And so it just got kind of one of those things. I've obviously on the tailgate in here, I'm very critical of officiating, and that's something else where I'm kind of critical here of is Angel Hernandez is one of those guys you just kind of have to keep your eye on and hope that somehow something doesn't come, something doesn't get missed or something controversial happens that ultimately screws your team, potentially dooms them. And so that was uh, – that was a rough moment uh, for the Royals. I mean, you did see Salvi rock a 460-foot, that's right, 460-foot home run into the fountains in the fifth to put the Royals up 3 nothing before the meltdown happened later on. And uh, the, the Indians' comeback happened there in the sixth, and that was when Mike Miner, Royal starter Mike Miner, he loaded the bases, and uh, Greg Holland came in, immediately gave up uh, those three runs. They were charged to Miner wasn't helped by the fact that Nicky Lopez booted a ground ball at shortstop, and that scored a couple of those runs. Nicky is starting to, after he started off really well, Nicky has slipped considerably of late, and it's starting to make a lot of Royals fans, and a lot of Royals, Royals me, or, uh, sports media in Kansas City start to really, really call for Adalberto Mondesi. It's about time that he comes back, and I know he's in the midst of this oblique injury, and they say a six- to eight-week window. Well, we're about four to five weeks into that now, you could come back a little bit sooner. Like, that's where we're, we're kind of – we're missing something there. And that's obviously coming into this season. Mondesi was looked at as one of the keys to this Royal success. And the Royals have been able to have great success without him. Now we need him to come back. We need him to come back and be that boost to the lineup because the Royals' offense just is not as consistent as it could be. And I, I know it seems a little – little outlandish to say that we need the, the man we need to bring some consistency and some pop to the Royals lineup is Adalberto Mondesi. But the kid's got ability. I mean, let's be honest here. He's a, spe he's a special talent when he's on the field and when his head is right. And just when he gets back, it's hopefully, hopefully it's not too late when he comes back and he's able to get the, keep the Royals up there near the top of the AL Central. I mean, he's still got five more months to go. So we will see with that. And so that brings us into tonight's game. Game three, Brady Singer, he's okay from that uh, bruised heel. He is going to make a go of it tonight. And with how Brady has been pitching, and you're talking a first-round pick, we need him to be the stopper tonight. We need Brady to come in and stop this three-game losing streak and be the guy that uh, rectifies everything, writes the ship, if you will. 
And I have high confidence in Singer going out and putting up a, a really strong ball game against Cleveland's lineup tonight. The unfortunate part is his counterpoint for the Cleveland Indians is the American League, I'm sorry, the Major League Baseball strikeout leader, Shane Bieber. He of the 68 strikeouts thus far in the season and the 3-2 and two record with a 2.76 ERA, the defending AL Cy Young Award winner. That's who we go against tonight. So it's going to be some, it's going to be a tough road to try and end this losing streak. But if there's any, if there's any two pitchers in the Royals rotation that could do it, Brady Singer is one of them, along with Danny Duffy, who, again, Cy Young candidate in his own right right now. So that's something to look forward to tonight. Hopefully the Royals can get this ended. Now, twisting back into some other things, what I have been talking so much and there's still more for me to talk about. I could talk forever about the Chiefs. And I'm going to dive into some more Chiefs. No, I'm not going to break down the draft. I'm not going to talk about all this other stuff now. I'm looking ahead now with the Chiefs. And that's what I want to do here because the draft is over. We've gone out and gotten some undrafted free agents. There's still, after June 1st, when some other teams make some cuts, there's still possibility of some additions to the Chiefs lineup. The, there's been the rumors of possibly Julio Jones being traded away from the Atlanta Falcons, and the Chiefs are one of the teams that have been mentioned as a potential destination. If that happens, holy freaking bananas. That would absolutely make th – like, I mean, the Chiefs are already Super Bowl favorites. That would push them into some astronomical territory for Super Bowl favorites. But I'm not counting on that. Uh, I mean, there I could see an addition at defensive end. Maybe they bring Justin Houston back home. Maybe they still go after Melvin Ingram. They already had him in Kansas City for a meeting once. I believe he is still unsigned. Uh, maybe they bring Rashad Breland back at cornerback. There's still a lot of question marks before they actually go out to uh, St. Joe and start training camp in this July. We're still two and a half months away from that happening. A lot can happen until then. But I would like to look ahead. And I'm cut. We're, we can exception of some of those additions will happen. We kind of are starting to see how the roster is going to shape up coming into the 2021 season and when they open up this fall in September, which, of course, the schedule announcement comes, I believe, next week. So that's going to be something very exciting. It's going to be a big to-do for Roger Dell and his circus. Uh, but you look at quarterback, obviously, there's not any question marks. You have number 15 out there. I, I think you're okay. I don't think there's another team in the NFL that feels better about their quarterback situation than our beloved Kansas City Chiefs. As well, they shouldn't because, again, they run out the former MVP, should be two-time MVP, should be two-time Super Bowl winner, but uh, whatever. That's neither here nor there. He is a one-time on each, and he's only 25 years old. He's pretty damn special. He's the best in the league, and he's on his way to being one of the, if not the greatest of all time. So feel pretty good about that. Chad Henney, Matt Moore probably in competition for being the back. Actually, I think Matt Moore may have officially retired. I don't know. Um, they did one of the undrafted free agents they did bring in, Shane Buscelli. I'll get to him in a minute. Running back, obviously, they feel really good. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Daryl Williams. They just signed Jarek McKinnon, who had some really strong success with the Minnesota Vikings a few years back. The San Francisco 49ers brought him in two years to go to be their lead running back. And then he suffered through some injuries, and then he fell down the depth chart. And so now the Chiefs bring him in. He's a speed guy. He's like six foot, but he's, he's a burner. 
And I wouldn't be shocked if kind of how we've seen when the Royals kind of, I'm sorry, the Chiefs bring in these guys kind of under the radar. You think Damian Williams a few years ago, and they end up being contributors. I could very much see Jarek McKinnon being a guy down the stretch that comes up with some big plays for the Chiefs. And his speed, Andy Reid will find a way to be able to utilize that in order to come up with some creative trick plays to really help out the Chiefs and get some points on the board. And then maybe Darwin Thompson makes the team, maybe not. Chiefs like to go running back heavy because, again, we have seen the injuries that can happen. So I'd imagine Thompson probably makes the roster. Uh, and then they, we did see the retirement of the Sausage. May you rest in retirement, my friend. Uh, all the best, Mr. Uh, Anthony Sherman. And the Chiefs went out and they still decided that they needed a fullback on the roster, so they went and got Michael Burden. Andy Reid loves his fullback, so I, I got nothing else to say on that. Uh, tight end, again, got to feel pretty good with Travis Kelsey. They did bring Blake Bell back after his one year in Dallas. And then they drafted a guy in the fifth round, like I talked about. No, Duke. They still have Nick Kaiser on the roster, which, yeah, head down. I'm going to, uh, yeah, I'm going to agree with that, head down. Uh, so we'll see. I hope Nick Kaiser doesn't make the roster. But you can at least see moving into the future, tight end is pretty strong. Wide receiver, Tyreek Hill. Yeah, that's pretty damn good. That's a pretty good spot to be in. Uh, but then from there, after Tyreek, Mikkel Hardman, Demarcus Robinson, Byron Pringle, the fifth round, other fifth-round pick, Cordell Powell out of Clemson, uh, Marcus Kemp, and then another guy who they signed to a futures contract, Antonio Callaway, a guy who Brett Veach and Andy Reid are both pretty high on. So he will probably be given every opportunity to win that fifth or sixth receiver role, depending on how deep the Chiefs decide they want to run going into the season. Uh, so you see, that is a, a question mark with at wide receiver. They've lost... Uh, Sammy Watkins went and signed with Baltimore, and of course, a lot of people aren't don't really care about that because of how much time Sammy missed down the stretch of last season, and just frankly over the course of his entire three-year Chiefs career. And the guy was injury prone. You know, availability is the most important ability for a football player to have or any athlete to have, and that was something that unfortunately was a check mark against him. Uh, for the majority of his career, he's just never amounted to being the fourth overall pick, also out of Clemson. And Chiefs probably aren't going to miss him much, but they are going to miss what he brings to the field when he does play, when he does run out there on Sundays or Thursdays or Mondays or whatever other days that Goodell and his circus are going to continue to add to the NFL schedule. Um, but that's where you, you do see some holes there. Hardman has to step up. They back to Marcus Robinson. We're not really – sorry, Zach. We're not really confident in D-Rob stepping up. And he came out and said, you know, I want to have 800 yards. I want to do this. I want to do that. And, like, I would love to see you do that. I'm just not super confident in that. I am confident in Byron Pringle stepping up and being a legit number three receiver. But he is on a one-year deal, as is Demarcus Robinson. And then Marcus Kemp is – he's an unknown. He's a very strong special teamer. But that's also one reason they drafted Cornell Powell. And then with Powell having the upside to also bring more to the offense as well. And so Kemp we will see. And then obviously I mentioned Callaway. So there is room to improve because when I say I'm looking ahead, I'm not just talking about I'm looking at this fall. I'm beyond this fall. And I'm not just talking about February when the Chiefs will win the Super Bowl again. I'm talking looking beyond into the 2022 season. And so this is where I'm 
I'm looking into the future here, and there's definitely room to improve at wide receiver. There's room to improve almost anywhere. There's always you always want to to try to get better. That's obviously always the point of the game. But wide receiver is something where you can see some holes where the Chiefs will need to improve upon moving forward beyond this season. Uh, offensive line. <laughs> It's so good. It's so good. It's so deep. Orlando Brown, Joe Tooney, Creed Humphrey, Kyle Long, and either Mike Remmers or Lucas Niang. Please let it be Lucas Niang and then wing tackle. Because then you got Austin Blythe. Then you have Laurent DeVarnay Tardy. The LDT might not make the team. Andrew Wiley probably won't make the team. Nick Allegretti might not make the team. The only reason they might keep Allegretti over a Wiley is because he's younger and cheaper, and they have more team control over him. Uh, I mean, it's Trey Smith. I mean, for, for F's sake, like, Trey Smith, your eventual right guard most likely. Like, we're good. We're good. Because they want to just every year, I'm along with Aaron from the tailgate, I am of the opinion, draft an offensive lineman every year, like in the fourth round or later, or if they're, you know, if you have a need, third round or higher. But keep on bringing in alignment, but man, the Chiefs do not have a need beyond the 2021 season in offensive line. We are rock solid. Brett Veach has done some magic with Dr. Strange in making sure that this team looks excellent for this season and beyond and protecting Patrick Mahomes. So I don't even need to talk any further on offensive line, but I do need to talk about defensive line. And that is something where I would say is the biggest holes moving forward. You do have Frank Clark, at, at end, you do have Frank Clark. You have Mike Dana, the second year, now going to be second-year guy out of Michigan. You have Taco Charlton, also out of Michigan. We're, well, it's all Michigan coming out on the defensive ends. Clark, Dana, Charlton, all all blue boys out of Michigan. Um, they brought back Taco Charlton on a one-year deal. You have Tim Ward, who was a former undrafted free agent. And then they did uh, go and sign uh, – or, yeah, drafted Joshua Kando out of Florida State in the fourth round. I expect all five of them to make the team, but you look moving forward. What do you have? You still don't know what you have in Dana. Dana, I think, is a very ideal third defensive end, a guy who can come in in pass rushing situations or can play the early downs and you bring in a better pass rusher. I like Dana a lot. He's got a high motor, brings a lot of effort, and he showed definitely some flashes last year as a rookie, and was a very pleasant surprise as a fifth round pick, and then. You look with Charlton. He does have pass rush ability in a limited capacity, but again, also on a one-year deal. Tim Ward, we don't really know what we have. And Kando, obviously we're excited about the upside, especially him working in a Steve Spagnuolo defense, but still generally an unknown at this point. A lot of talent, very tantalizing, but we will see what we can turn that talent into. And then Frank Clark. Frank Clark, the Chiefs have the ability to, after this 2021 season, get out from the monster Frank Clark contract. Most of the money, the guaranteed money, will have already been paid, and the Chiefs will have the opportunity to shed a lot of cap space if they need to, or shed a lot of cap to clear up more cap space if they need to. Yes, the cap will be jumping up big next year, but we also have some contracts you got to pay for the QB. You got to pay for the franchise. So his contract also goes up next year. Um, and so there's a lot of talk that if Clark does not step up and have a big season this year, that he is not long for wearing the red and gold. And I'm, I'm a believer in that. Yes, we, he helped us win a Super Bowl, and he played great down the stretch in the playoffs. 
But if you look at his regular season production, it just has not been there. And he didn't come up enough. He had the one sack early in the Super Bowl against the Buccaneers, and then he was pretty much non-existent the rest of the game. And when you're paying, when you when you paid the draft capital in the first place to go acquire the guy, and then you give him a hundred million dollar contract, you got to have more. Like we can't trade a first and a second and give a hundred million dollar contract for a guy who literally the only thing is like, yeah, but he did help us win the Super Bowl. And believe me, that's the biggest yeah, but that you can ever find in the pro ca- in the pro category for a player. But he's got a lot of cons as well. And for as much as I like Frank Clark, this season is a make or break. If he's going to continue to get the rest of that contract and continue on wearing a Chief uniform, he needs to step up and have a big season and not just help the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, but be the leader on that defense and go out there and make some game-changing plays on a, on a consistent basis. Or else the Chiefs are going to be searching elsewhere. And this need will become an even bigger need at that point. And even if he does have success, I don't anticipate, at least at this point, a guy like Kando stepping up and becoming the number two pass rusher, the number two guy. And I think Kando could eventually, but he is still a fairly raw prospect. And this is where I think the biggest need moving beyond the 2021 season and who what should be the Chiefs' focal point in the 2022 draft would be defensive end. But I, I'll get to that in just a second as well. DT, we're pretty strong. You got Chris Jones. I mean, I guess that dude's okay. You know, big 95 out there just scarfing, just scarfing dudes up left and right. Love Chris Jones, man. I was so thrilled when he finally got his payday. Ponch and I were out there at training camp the year before just saying, pay this man. Give him his money. And he's just sitting there signing autographs like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, the Chiefs did it. They did right by him. They did right by Kansas City. He's going to continue to be right by Kansas City as well. He even said it on Twitter. Love being here. So we love having you here, Big Chris Jones. You got Derek Nanati. I believe this is his final season of his contract for Nanati. So that's potentially a hole moving forward. You got the big undrafted free agent from last year, Tershawn Wharton. Love that dude. There's talk of him, maybe them experimenting with him at defensive end a little bit because of there. Just we don't have exactly what we'd like to have at defensive end and pass rushers. Maybe there, there's talk of the Chiefs trying out to see him out there if he can bring a little bit more heat off the edge. Uh, and then uh, Kalen Saunders, who man, super great athlete. God, we've all seen that that clip of him doing the back, the standing backflip. And that's unreal for a 300-pound man to be able to do that. I certainly cannot do that. No, I'm not going to try it either. They had the quick thought, but I have neck issues as it is. I don't need to break it. So, uh, But then also they brought in Jaron Reed, and that was, you know, that was a coup. That was a huge stroke of luck for the Chiefs that it just so happened when they were trying to figure out what they were going to do with their offensive line situation, hadn't shelled out all their money that they had allocated to free agency when all of a sudden the Seahawks decided to part ways with Jaron Reed because of things just not working out with their contract situation. Perfect situation for the Chiefs. Now you bring in a guy who has been able to bring out the best in Frank Clark in his time in Seattle. So very big pickup for the Chiefs there with uh, uh, Jaron Reed. But again, it's a one-year deal. So you're looking at Nanati and Reed probably not being around beyond the 2021 season. Maybe Nanati, but we'll see. Uh, and then the linebackers, I'm just – I'm thrilled with the linebackers, man. I – I'm ready for Anthony Hitchens to go. I'm ready for his contract to come off the books. I like what he's done for the Chiefs in, in regard. He is a thumper, man. He's a tackle machine. 
but we need speed and we need range. And that is what the Chiefs have used their last two second-round picks in Willie Gay Jr. and Nick Bolton. That is the future that needs to be the future. I know people like Ben Neiman too. Y'all like your Iowa boys. I get it. Hitchens and Neiman. I get it, man. But we need some real talent, NFL talent up there at linebacker, and that's why you spent number twos on Bolton and Gay to go out there and be game changers, to be difference makers on that defense and go out there and just cover the field. I want two Derek Johnsons out there. I don't expect them to be Derek Johnsons, but if the two of them can be like a Derek Johnson and a half, that's going to be a pretty good group, a pretty good set of linebackers. And so I'm very encouraged about that moving forward, the linebacker position. They can probably draft some depth or you know, maybe Dorian Daniel steps up. So we'll see. But I feel good moving, moving forward with linebacker. Cornerback, Charvarius Ward is in likely his final year. Maybe if he has a great year, the Chiefs will give him a big contract. If not, they'll move forward. Legereus Sneed, I can't say enough about him. The Chiefs got an absolute steal, absolute gem in the fourth round last year. And he's, I think he's a Pro Bowl cornerback moving forward. Another really strong cornerback we have, Rashad Fenton, now entering his third year. I love Fenton in the nickel. I think he's a really strong, feisty cornerback. who he gets. He's not afraid to mix it up. I love that. Uh, and then a couple of young guys, former first-round pick of the Giants, DeAndre Baker, who just things didn't work out with the Giants. Chiefs were able to pick him up. He did break his leg down the stretch last year. But he was already showing signs that maybe he was turning the corner. And he's he loves being here. He loves being part of that group, along with Teron Matthew. They're in that secondary group. Like, he's stoked to be a Kansas City Chief. And that broken leg should be healed by the time training camp gets started. So, Chiefs might have just found another gem on the free agent market with DeAndre Baker. And then Bo Peetees, the, the, the late draft pick last year, the Chiefs traded back in to go get. Bo Peetees, man. Do not overlook him. Very high on that kid. He got a late start in the final game last year when it was already decided where the Chiefs were going to go in the playoffs. And, man, I like, I like him a lot. I'm very – I like – I think Bo Pete Keys could be something special. And then they, maybe they do bring back Bashad Breen, like I've mentioned before. Uh, and then safety. I mean, you're pretty strong at safety. You got Thornhill, you got Matthew, and you got Sorensen. And then Armani Watts, who's more special teams. Strong. And then you finish off the roster, special teams isn't going anywhere. Even though Townsend didn't have a Super Bowl, he is still just a he was just a rookie. People like Tommy Townsend, Sunshine. I know Ponch loves to call him Sunshine. Uh, and then Harrison Bucker, who when his head is right, which it is right, way more often than not, one of the best kickers in the game, maybe the best outside of Justin Tucker. And there's not a lot of kickers that could hit three fifty plus yarders in a row, even though only one of them counted. And then Winchester is a long snapper. So when I break all this down, and I know I kind of got in-depth there going over this Chiefs roster, when I break it down and I look, I know I already talked about I see the need at edge, and I'm going to continue on with that, maintain. The Chiefs, when you look at the draft next year, the only holes I see moving forward after this season are edge, wide receiver, and then cornerback, safety, interchangeable there, maybe more safety because Sorensen's on a one-year deal, and then maybe a defensive tackle. Like the Chiefs are not going to have a lot of needs – Things can obviously change over the course of a season. An injury happens. There's, there's a number of things that could happen. Player doesn't play up to, to expectations. But at this point in time, I see they need to use their first-round pick on an edge, second-round pick, second or third on a wide receiver or a safety or a cornerback. But the Chiefs aren't far off from having the most complete roster. If they don't already, the most complete roster in the NFL. And there are a few edge rushers to look at next, in next year's draft, potentially. The big one who the Chiefs probably – 
if we think I'm saying they're going to win the Super Bowl, so they will not be in any situation to go get this guy unless for some reason injuries or something falls down the board. But Oregon's Kayvon Thibodeau, that kid is a monster. He was the number one recruit in the uh, high school recruit in the nation a couple years ago. Very special defensive end out of Oregon. You got a couple more guys coming out of Ohio State. They just churn out defensive like nobody else. Zach Harrison's the newest one who should go in the first round. On the counterpoint to that, Michigan, Aiden Hutchinson. I know that's a guy that Ty has talked to me about. Drake Jackson out of USC. George Karloftis out of Purdue. You've got some really strong pass rushers. Probably a better pass rusher class next year. Not even probably. It is a better pass rusher class next year than it is this year. So it might work in the Chiefs' favor to have waited on going early with a pass rusher that you weren't sure about. Whereas next year, when the Chiefs will probably have a bigger need for a pass rusher, there should be some some really elite ones, some very talented ones. And a wide receiver. You're not going to have as deep wide receiver class next year as you did this year. But you still have some solid names out there. Uh, George Pickens out of Georgia. Another freaking Alabama receiver, John Mechie third, likely after sitting behind uh, uh, Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs third, and then this year Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell. John Mechie third as a junior will finally get his opportunity to be the lead receiver for Alabama. Expect him to put up monster numbers in that offense and to be a first-round pick, a guy the Chiefs might go after. You got two probable first-round picks out of Ohio State, a wide receiver, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. And then the most intriguing one, who might be the most talented of the group, Justin Ross out of Clemson, who did not play this year, not because of a COVID opt-out, but because of a problem with his spine. I don't remember if it was spinal, I think it was spinal stenosis, but he has gotten a positive prognosis moving forward and he will be allowed to play again this fall for the Clemson Tigers. So obviously a major concern, but if he comes out and balls out, he was Trevor Lawrence's top target two years ago. He is an enormously, immensely talented wide receiver. And so Justin Ross, another name to keep an eye on. And so obviously this is a year out. This is way, 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 way out. But those are some names to keep your eye on this fall and some names, again, edge rusher, wide receiver. That's I see as the Chiefs' two biggest needs moving beyond the 2021 season. But having said all that and looked beyond the 2021 season, I couldn't be more thrilled about the 2021 season itself. I think the Chiefs are very well positioned to make a run at it and go to three straight Super Bowls, four straight AFC championships, and take home their second Lombardi trophy in a three-season span. I'm calling it. I think that's what's going to happen. I think Mahomes, he's that guy doesn't forget stuff. And so he's been sitting there watching everything that's been happening and, I, and what everybody's been saying, all the love for the Buccaneers, all the hate on the Chiefs, and he's watched what Brett Veach and company have done to improve his offensive line, Patrick Mahomes is going to be ready to go. The new daddy is going to – he's about to be the whole league's daddy again. He's going to show them all. So I'm going to finish off with that. Love, love it. Love my uh, Patrick Mahomes. And let's go – just father the league, Patrick. Just show them all how it's done. Daddy is coming home. So I'm going to finish off tapped in on that note. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in. You can find us at, uh, we're on Twitter, tapped in KC. Uh, you can find me, Duncanstein, on uh, Twitter. This, you can find us here, the KCPN Network, Kansas City Public Network, man. We love doing this. So thank you for tuning in this Wednesday edition of Tapped In, and I will see you all on Friday. Go Royals.